Well, this is a very special episode. I have McSplicer, fellow podcaster and FGC fan slash content creator. What's up, man? Oh, everything's good. <laughs> I appreciate you having me on, man. No, it's a pleasure. Um, so obviously those who <laughs> don't know who you are, can you give us a rundown about yourself? Sure. I always categorize myself as a fighting game fan first, and then my creative passions are writing. And then just somewhere along the way, I learned how to video edit. So I'm a predominantly a fighting game fan who writes about fighting games and also makes videos on the internet. And then throughout the uh, the years, I found myself hosting a podcast. And I've been doing that for about uh, three to four years now, mostly focusing on fighting games. Did you ever see yourself like, ho like did you ever see yourself having that role of like, hosting like owning a podcast and making fighting game content you're a fan but making content for it no i never saw that My, i mean i'm not really entirely sure what triggered it either i think i was looking for content that i wasn't able to find and i was just like well i mean the the problem is with what i do is um i like writing way more than anything like making videos or streaming or you know, anything of that nature. But because a lot of people don't really seem to enjoy reading in the FGC, I don't know if that's a fact, but I'm just yeah. assuming just by statistics <laughs> is that there's not a lot of, there's not a big market there. So I had to just move with the times. I had to somewhat transition over to audio platforms and video platforms. So I love, I used to love just reading about stuff and I couldn't find a lot of that. And then I, started seeing that there was more videos and streams and stuff like that. And it wasn't really for me because I'm not a competitive player. I don't really care about combos and I'm not a huge stream guy. So I wanted something with a bit more storytelling and narrative. And there's very few people that do that. Obviously we have Corey gaming, who's a huge, you know, he's, he's really good in that space. And then you have other people who have come on recently, like Stumblebee and I, that's where I wanted to put myself. And we don't have a lot of people in the FGC that do that kind of thing. So I decided, I was like, I want to make content that I would watch. And that's how I sort of modeled my content since then. Mm. So how did you catch this fascination for the FGC? Like, who who gave you the FGC, FGC baptism? Uh, so I used to play fighting games in arcade when I was really young, but I didn't know anything, right? I was just mashing. I was like six or seven. So I didn't have the concept of the FGC back then, because this is like, I think, what, like maybe 1999 or 2000. So I was really young back then. And it wasn't until after high school and into college, I got my first roommate when I was like 18 or 19. And he was a huge NRS fan. He played Mortal Kombat Injustice. And that was right around the same time where Mortal Kombat 9 came out. And, you know, that was a big deal because that was like, you know, MK is back. So he really got into that game. And... I, I mean, I still didn't really play fighting games that much. I didn't play any games. I was just coming off like a sports high because I was in high school. I played basketball. I played baseball. So I was more interested in those kind of things. And then, you know, I remember we got rained out one time. We were both working at the same place. We got rained out. We couldn't go to work. So he was just like, hey, man, I got this game. I love Mortal Kombat. You want to sit down and play? I was like, yeah, sure. And then when we played, um, I was just like, man, you know, it's kind of all coming back to me. I remember my days in the arcade just mashing and having a good time. And I mean, I'm not a huge Mortal Kombat fan, but just having that environment again, even though it was just with one guy, I was just like, man, I, I remember this. So that's when I started 
getting in more into fighting games and I met, I saw, or I played uh, Persona 4 Arena because I just happened to get it. And I got Persona 4 Arena and from there, I just got really introduced into FGC stuff. I started consuming more content and I went on from there. Yeah. What was the community like back then um, for fighting games? Back when I was like 19 yeah, or when I was yeah. six? Oh, well, oh, sorry. I mean, oh. like when you, uh, yeah, 19, 19. When I was 19, I mean, where I was living, I was living in the Midwest of America. So I didn't really know that it existed because I also didn't really seek it out. But my friend, he he basically played Mortal Kombat and a little bit of, you know, a few fighting games here and there. But for the most part, he just played Mortal Kombat online. So I didn't really get a good grasp of what the FGC locally was for us. And then as far as our region, I didn't necessarily feel it either because it was at a time where the fgc was still very much building it was like around like 2009 2010 yeah and it it, it was just off of like you know the quote-unquote dark days dark of, ages. Of the FGC. Yeah. yeah no that was pretty rough um mm-hmm. yeah and so persona 4 because that's your main character because i asked you who who would be your main character you identify with and you chose Forgive me if I butchered the name. Labris? Labris? Labris. Labris, yeah. It's Labris, yep. Yeah. I showed someone the character, and he's like, oh, I know that. Oh, he's, oh he does Persona for yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's really good. So, like, how would, you, how would you explain the state of the fighting game scene now compared to then? Oh, it's uh, night and day. It's night and day. It's... So, when I first started getting reintroduced to fighting games... I don't think I could have said a term like even even just the word Street Fighter to any regular, you know, Joe Blow that I used to work with. And they would really like put together what it is. They might remember it. Oh, you know, it's a video game from like the early 90s or something like that. But they don't really put a concept to it. Now, like my dad knows what Street Fighter is and he doesn't even know anything that I do. Like he just knows, like, hey, I was, you know, flipping over ESPN and I saw one of your games on TV. I was just like, <laughs> that's how big of a transition it's become. And it's so much more mainstream now. It's not to the level where you can say Overwatch or League of Legends or any of those big shooter titles. But it's getting, it's, it's almost, I don't know if you remember, there was a point in time in the gaming industry where you had AAA, you had indie, and then you have that tier in the middle. It was like THQ, and it was all those games that would make yeah. the, you know, not indie titles, but not AAA, EA games, Activision. I think that's where the FGC is at now. We're almost to the cusp of AAA, but we're still under. Like, we still need a, a big push in order to get that that publisher support, but yeah. we're, we're close. Because it's always fascinated me how fighting games are so easy to understand, but in terms of, like you said, on that level of being on the hierarchy like overwatch and league of legends it's just not there like viewership for simple people they can understand but it's as you said it's not it's not reaching that level but what what could we do to kind of push it to that level that's the million dollar question right like if we knew that we hopefully get there i think what you've seen at least within the last three years or so is that developers and publishers are trying to tackle that question by making more people inclined to try them out. Mm. So we're, we're seeing games really focusing on barrier to entry, which has been good in some aspects and not so good in, the, in others. I've spoken about it a lot, but I think current fighting games as they are, 
aren't aren't very thoughtful as far as both catering to hardcore people like myself and you, but then trying to get, you know, a guy who's always played Call of Duty his whole life to be interested in a fighting game, that's one, and stick with a fighting game, which is the most important thing, and that's two. We haven't found that really good fusion of trying to make all sides happy. What happened, I think, is that we found some success with level one, getting people into fighting games, but we lost on two and three. So we lost on making the newcomers stick around, but then we've also alienated the hardcore market because the, the, what happened was, at least from my perspective, is that in order to make fighting games a little easier to get into, you have to take some things away that hardcore people would put more time into because they're already invested. Yeah. So not only does that, does that make, you know, newcomers not really stick around because they're just not interested, but now you've also alienated the people who were going to get the game regardless because they're already ingrained in the FGC. So it's, it sucks. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because I think of the whole Street Fighter thing and the lack of defensive mechanics and stuff. Like all these pro players, all their, all their legacy skill may not be as, 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 as intact with you know, Street Fighter V, for example. Um, do you think that is the way to go to kind of like make it more approachable? Uh, to an extent, but I don't think that can be your whole game plan. Like you have to think of it as it has to be like multifaceted. So in order to make newcomers try out our game, we can't strip the game of everything it was up to that point in order to cater to one audience. That's not how it works. Like, could you imagine? I don't play shooters, but let's say Activision wants to get my $60 or my $70, whatever games cost these days, in order for me to play the newest Call of Duty. They're like, I, we want Max Spicer to play Call of Duty. So we're going to take away, you know, whatever. Uh, you can't run anymore to make the game a little slower. So he can play. Could you imagine the outrage from people that play Call of Duty be like, what do you mean I can't run anymore? I've been running since, you know, the first Call of Duty. So, and then what happens is, is like, okay, I'll be like, hey, cool, this, the game is a little bit slow, slower pace for me now. Maybe I should try it. I try it for three days. I'm like, hey, that was cool. And then I move on to something else. And everybody who plays Call of Duty is still pissed for months and years. So you lost on both of us. That's yeah. kind of what's happening with fighting games. Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, what I what's happened over here in New Zealand is um, there's been a central hub that's been created, so it's to house like certain esports teams and stuff. But the thing is, they've made the hub an actual stadium. It's our it's one of our rugby stadiums here, Mount Eden, and it's a nice fusion. Oh, cool. It's a nice fusion of like proper sports with esports, so it kind of makes it in a way more mainstream i mean do you think this whole do you think maybe a unification between traditional sports and esports would kind of help with that growth yeah i think i definitely the the problem here is in the states we're, we're so we're so wide like where everybody is spread out in so many places like that's why you need hubs and i think you can do that definitely in hubs if if you do it in the east coast places like new york do it on the west coast california if you do it somewhere, you know, down south, it would probably might have to be Texas. Yeah. And then up north, you would have to pick a big, a big state uh, as far as the Midwest. So maybe it'll be like 
Minnesota, Minneapolis, Minnesota, or like, you know, Chicago, Illinois, somewhere big. But for everybody else, right, like we have 50 states for everybody else that's like in, you know, you're in Pennsylvania, you're in Arkansas, you're in Montana, those people are still going to have to travel and it's still going to be difficult for them. That's why I think, especially for the United States, and I'm sure for other regions too, but because we're so focused on the United States as a consumer base, um, we tend to less focus on trying to get people together in the same place because we're so spread out yeah. and we tend to focus on net code, net code, net code, because that's the easiest. It's the point at the path of least resistance for us. Yeah. And I know it's, it's probably easier for other regions to just like, Hey, let's just get together at this big hub because we're a little closer for us. It's a little difficult because if I want to go, there, there's an arcade near me. And by near me, I mean, it's six hours away. If I drive there, like that's, somewhat close in the United States, right? You drive six hours, it's not that bad. But it's still kind of a hassle if I just want to go play in the arcade. Yeah. So that I would have to make that an event. I would have to take that Friday off and make it a three-day weekend and then come back. You know, it's not very comfortable versus just like, hey, I wish I could just play online and have fun instead of worrying about online being a difficult environment to play, have fun with, and improve. So. Okay. Um, I also know that you're a bit of an MMA fan as well. Um, you kind of follow the UFC vibes and stuff. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah, I like all of the promotions. Because, like, see, that would be an example of like that would be quite the ideal sport to tie into fighting game esports. Like, if you watch UFC, you're most likely going to like watching um, fighting games as well. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, how how big of an MMA fan are you? Uh, I follow it pretty religiously. Okay. Well, who 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 are you vibing now um, in the UFC circuit? I like. So I've always liked the Diaz brothers. They've always been uh, two guys that I really like, just because they say whatever they want. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, they're very real. But I also just like dudes that uh, they're just. I don't really care if they win or lose. That's the beautiful part about that sport. Is like I just want to see the best compete against the best, and whatever happens, happens. But yeah, they. There's a, I mean, obviously you're showing Jorge Masvidal. He's a beast. And there's, I like Stipe Miocic. He's the heavyweight champ. Um, there's a bunch of good ones. I mean, uh, you know, since you're in New Zealand, you guys obviously have Israel Adesanya, who's the middleweight champion. He's he's awesome. But who I really like is, because he's an absolute dog, is Dan Hooker. Yeah, he's also mate. Yeah, uh, he's just a dog. And, like, I, I don't care if Dan Hooker win, loses, or draw. Like, he's he's just he's just going to go out there and put it all on the line. And I, yeah. I don't know how you cannot respect something like that. Like, he's uh, he's awesome to watch. No, I agree. He's getting that people's champ vibe over here. That's for sure. Um, have you yeah. Have you ever seen one of, have you ever seen an MMA fight live? No, unfortunately, I was going to go. They had one here in St. Louis, I believe. It's actually uh, Robert Whitaker. He was he was fighting here. Uh, I know he's not New Zealand; he's from Australia. But uh, he was going to fight here about two or three years ago, and I I was going to go, but then it didn't work out. I forgot what happened if uh, I couldn't get the days off or whatever. But uh, yeah, they never came back to St. Louis since then. So oh man, no way. So like. What's your style of UFC fighter? Do you prefer standing combat or do you prefer someone who does the ground game? I can watch it all. I mean, as long as there's advancement and transitions, I can watch, you know, whether they're grappling or whether they're striking. It's it's all good. What I don't like is when I can tell, like, guys are just trying to win, so they just lay on top of guys or if they're just stalling. 
that's I think any educated fan of MMA can really figure that out. It's like I don't know if you saw that last fight between um, Masvidal and oh, Usman. Usman, yeah, yeah. So listen, Usman is really good. He's the real deal, and I understand that you got to do what you got to do to win. But there's also a point of a little bit of sense of urgency, even though you're the champion. I understand you want to keep the belt, but you're not winning any favors with the fans. If you, all you're trying to do is every time you go out there is just keep the belt. You also have to. That's why I really like guys who aren't even champions, like the Korean Zombie, or like we, obviously we mentioned Dan Hooker or like Paul Felder. Like you know those guys. I mean, they just go out there and scrap, and it's just. Uh, you know, those are the guys I really have respect for. So, yeah, I mean, I have respect for all of them. I mean, I listen, I can never get into a cage and fight oh, <laughs> with my shirt off. I mean, that's ridiculous. Hell no, man. <laughs> suicide. But, you know, like it's, it is that champion's curse, you know, like you you win the belt and then you're kind of on that plateau and you kind of, you know, it's when a fighter loses that um, hunger, they become civilized. Um, have you mm-hmm. who's ha, have you have you ever seen that kind of in a fighter? Like as soon as they've kind of right in the top, you know, on the top, they just kind of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one example that comes to mind is uh, like Tyron Woodley. He, when he became a champion, so he, he actually beat, well, according to the, to the judges and, and, you know, judges always see things a little differently, but he actually beat one of my favorite fighters. Who's also like this guy, he's a very meticulous and slow fighter, but he's, in my opinion, he's exciting is wonder boy Thompson. Um, who's a karate style fighter. And Tyron Woodley beat him, but the way he beat him is just really, really slowing things down. Like, and and fighting game terms, all he would do is just hold back, hold back, hold back, and then wait for you to jump or wait for you to to do anything. But he wouldn't commit to anything. Yeah. And he did that for about four fights, I think, and he retained the belt all four fights until he lost it. But when when you see that, I mean, it's just like, well, I guess I'll watch the fight because it's for the title, but I don't really want to watch the fight because the champion fights a certain way. I don't know. That's I respect that he wants to keep his position at the top, but I don't know. It's also it sucks because it's also a sport and entertainment. And how do you balance that? Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Well, speaking of entertainment, um, do you enjoy the slugfest? Do you actually enjoy like a really close fight, or are you wanting that quick? six second knockout if it's technical i don't mind either or right like a slugfest is cool but the part that i don't like about a slugfest and mma is that i've seen it so many times and i've seen the aftermath it's entertaining in the moment and like the fact that these guys are doing it for my enjoyment it's almost gladiator like it's just you know it it's fun but then at the end like you know those guys are leaving a part of themselves in that cage and you don't know it necessarily at the end of the night, but you see it a couple of years down the line. And you're like, man, that guy was never been the same ever. He went, he went to war with that guy, you know, two years ago, three years ago. You look at guys like Rory McDonald or like Carlos Condit, like those guys, they've been through so many wars that they just can't, they're, they're different people. And like, you can tell that they're different people and you can tell when they lost that piece of theirs. You know, you can pinpoint which yeah. night it was. And that's why I don't really like Slugfest. You know, everybody likes knockouts. Everybody likes, you know, submissions. I just like technical fighting. But the, the great thing about, like, the UFC or Bellator, more so the UFC because they kind of monopolize the talent, but Bellator has it sometimes too. You see the best compete against the best, and that's entertaining. Like, that, you want to see 
you know, this guy said he's the best in this region. That guy said he's the best in that region. Let's see what happens. Yeah. No, fair enough. So, so I'll, we'll just dip into the, the content creation side, man. So with the FGC, like what were some of the biggest challenges in terms of making the content? Getting audio right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, audio is a nightmare. I still can't figure it out. And yeah, audio. If anybody is interested in getting into into content creating, whether it's FGC or anywhere, like just watch proper audio tutorials because I don't know how long it took me. You know, it's even the way you're listening back to certain things is you you have to listen to things back with the same settings that you recorded them. And then when you go into editing software, it all changes on you. So that was a hassle. And trust me, I've, I've seen a lot of comments on YouTube be like, Hey, your audio sucks. I was like, yeah, I know. Hey, yeah. That's <laughs> the other thing. Hey, content creation, you've got to be ready for those, uh, for those, uh, truthful comments or hateful comments. Um, yeah. Yeah. Did, yeah. How did, um, did you have like those kind of hecklers or people, did you have to deal with that quite a lot when you began creating content? Yeah. Yeah. I still do, but, um, I wouldn't change because I, so when I started, I, I immediately drew a line in the sand right away. Cause when I started creating content, it was right around the same launch of street fighter five. And I think one of the big catalysts for me to starting talking on a podcast about things in the fighting game community was because I was a little unhappy with how things were going on. You know, I was coming off of a high of really enjoying my time with Street Fighter 4 as a spectator, not so much as a player, because yeah. I liked, you know, seeing top-level play in that game specifically. And then I came off of as a high as a player because Persona 4 Arena and Ultimax, they were, at that time at least, 2015, then tail end of 2016, they were played at the highest level. So that was really entertaining. And then when we turned the page over with the eighth console generation, and we got Street Fighter Five, and it was not a complete product. And then King of Fighters 14 came out, and it was a fairly decent game, but it, it wasn't up to par with how we want to visualize our fighting games. And Tekken 7 was, you know, we, it was, we still didn't know if it was going to be called Tekken 7 Fade Retribution or Tekken 7 is going to come out here. You know, when is it coming? And, you know, we still had Guilty Gear. I believe it was, it was Rev 1. It wasn't Rev 2 yet. So... You know, if you weren't a part of those games that were happening in the den, you were kind of on the outside looking in, and that's where I felt in about 2016. Yeah. So that's when I started talking about fighting games and how I feel about them, and I drew a line in the sand right away that I was not a Street Fighter V fan, and I did not like the direction that Capcom's going with that game. I didn't appreciate their decisions, and I criticized the games and the publishers and developers that I didn't like, because I mean, I'm, I don't care. I'm not in bed with any of these people. So, you know, I got a lot of hate for that. And I still do because, you know, if you're not a part of the big, you know, community, like Dragon Ball, for example, right? a lot of people support that game. If you say anything about Dragon Ball, there's so many more people that are going to be against you than for you because that game is beloved. I think the difference there is, when I say things about games that, you know, aren't quote unquote nice, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not saying it just to say it. Yeah. You're not I'm saying, saying it's, it you're not saying it's such shit. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just critiquing the, I want games to be good. And I think you, that's a big, 
as a consumer, that's a big thing that you need to do, right? You have to keep these people honest. Like I love Tekken, like Tekken seven was my game for the longest time until season three hit. And even towards the latter stages of season two, like I, I love season one. Season one was so fun for me. Like it was, it felt like the opposite of Street Fighter five. And I kept saying it where like Street Fighter five, you have all these different characters. They all do completely different things, but the game plays the same. It's the game plays exactly the same, no matter which characters on screen. Tekken was the opposite. Tekken was just like, everybody has a down forward one. We all got down fours. We all can do uh, relatively similar, you know, damage combos, but the game plays at completely different speeds, depending on the characters. Like it's, it's a completely different world. Fang versus Dragonov and Lily Ostica looks completely different. Like it's not the same game in season one. And now in season three, it's pretty much the same game. Like everybody can if, do everyone is, to 80%. Every, everyone is everyone. Yeah. It's yeah. yeah. It's yeah, that's a fair point that you made. I mean, yeah, I, I will agree. When the New, when the New Zealand scene played Street Fighter Five on release, they were not happy. They were far from happy. Um and you know, it, it missed that crucial thing where it had an arcade release, you know, and that was kind of the field testing. You let the actual players have their time with it, give feedback. Um and I think it was such a detriment that um Tekken had arcade exclusivity because it got the feedback it got the response and when it released as you, you know it just was it was it was great um but now there's this yeah. red there's this red rift you know like Tekken's being put dumbed down and just street fighter just keeps going down <laughs> yeah. yeah well that's it's, it's you know it's funny you mentioned that look at how you know, Street Fighter V was so rushed at the gate because I'm I'm pretty sure Sony put you know Capcom under the you know a lot of pressure and they were like, hey, get this out because we need this for our lineup for whatever reason. Maybe they weren't ready with No Man's Sky or whatever the reason was. Like yeah. they needed a game out, and you know Tekken. I remember watching Tekken Seven in 2015 or 20 like 14 like in like uh, Korean arcades be like, when is this game coming out? Like they've been talking about it, and we didn't get until what June 2017. Like the amount of polish that game went through. Yeah. was incredible and then when it came out like it showed i don't remember them patching too much stuff except for the input delay they got rid of that and then um maybe a couple changes here and there but for the most part when that game came out it was polished and it was fun and you saw it, like it really took over like towards the second half of 2017 and then 2018 was really really good yeah man um yeah um for your content like do any games give have have any of the games fighting games given you inspiration? Like obviously you make content on the games, but has any games given you kind of deep inspiration? Um, I'll say not any of the ones that have come out. I like the storylines that the games bring. Right, the, when. When you had the whole, I, I made a video a while back uh, about character loyalty. Yes. Right? Yeah. When, I don't know. I don't know if you remember. So, uh, like Ni, nee, right? He plays Tekken. He's always known to, you know, play a lot of characters. But it seemed more so in the early stages of Tekken Seven because of that input delay we were talking about. It, I mean, that was a lot of frames of input delay where he's like, I can't tech throws. I can't get certain buttons to come out when I want to. I can't react to things. It, it wasn't. When when he went from character to character, we saw him play Jin, we saw him play Brian sometimes, he was playing Dragonov. I mean, he didn't know where to go. He was all over the place. That was an interesting storyline for me because I was just like, this is the one of the best players in the world 
who's struggling with an identity crisis, and he's going from character to character to character. Meanwhile, you have in this new generation, you know, people like Daigo playing, you know, that he started with Ryu, and then he was like, I can't compete. Let me go to Guile. And then he plays Guile, and it doesn't really work. And then he tries other characters. And those are storylines that are pretty interesting to me, or what happens with certain games and like their development and all that. But um, as far as games specifically, I don't think they make a huge impact on me. I mean, the one recently that I did, it was actually a super old game. I reviewed Melty Blood for the first time, and I actually spent a lot of time with Melty Blood. And that game, even though as old as it is, it impressed me so much purely from a gameplay sense, because that game, I didn't realize how deep and intricate that game is. Because when you're watching something that you don't understand, you can't put it all together. But after studying the mechanics and putting hours into that game, just trying to learn it, it's I, I so much like I appreciate that game for what it is now when I spectate it. Because I was like, man, there's so many little things that you wouldn't understand if you did not delve into the mechanics. And I think a lot of games that are currently in development can look at games like that and being like, hey, that is innovation. That's not. There's innovation and there's, you know, trying to be new and snazzy, but it's just further complicates things. You know, I mean, you, you can learn from history and I think Melty Blood is, is a great game to learn from. Yeah, man. Um, what is it? Are there any projects um, outside of the FGC that take your interest? Yeah, I mean, every now and again, I'll talk about non-fighting games i don't very much because there's so much happening in the fgc but uh, like recently i played uh, persona 5 just be simply because of the persona connection there because i my only reason for playing persona 5 it was persona 5 royal it was like the newest expansion that came out for that game okay and i i played i played that game because just in case persona 5 arena comes out i just wanted to know what the, those characters are about mm. and you know it was okay. <laughs> the game was all right. <laughs> um, so yeah, we'll we'll touch on the McSplicer podcast. So, you know, what you created, I think, was truly something special. Um, I mean, at, you nice. know, we we have a lot of you know people that kind of do the interviewee podcasty thing, but they have their own style. You know, Born Freeze kind of the esports reporter on the scene, Ernesto Lopez at home just reporting on the hottest tweets and rants and stuff. Um, and then you've got players in general who just kind of make their own podcasts and they make their own, like, Teach Me series and stuff. Um, did you ever listen to much podcasts prior to starting your own? I did non, uh, nothing that had to do with fighting games. I did for the longest time with whether they're cultural podcasts or MMA podcasts or gaming podcasts in general. Yeah, I was a big fan of podcasts, especially when I was, like, 19 or 20 all the way now because I was working at like warehouses or driving forklifts and stuff. And, you know, that monotonous type work, uh, well, you know, you kind of find something that makes the, the, the night go by. Right. Yeah. So podcasts are so good for that. So I was a really big fan then. And so how did you, how would you plan? So if it was still happening, how would you plan an upcoming episode? Um, yeah. How, how, how would Mick Splicer plan? Yeah. So, um, in the early days, I would, I didn't have a schedule. For, I, I didn't really believe in like just doing a podcast just to do a podcast. I tried to do a weekly thing, but I was just like, man, it, it doesn't make sense a lot of times with fighting games, especially with me, because 
certain things I find interesting and certain things I don't. So I just kind of recorded a podcast when I felt like it, when I was doing it alone, right? I just was just recording a monologue podcast of just me talking to the mic about various different things. And that worked out for a little while. But then I kind of got bored of that. And I was just like, I kind of want to talk to other people. And I did early on a little bit, but towards the later stages of, I think it was like maybe like the late 80s. So I recorded 100 episodes of this podcast. And I think like the late 80s, all the way through the 90s, I had more guests on. And that was a lot of fun to do because you get perspectives that are unique and are different from yours. So I had, you know, some interesting people come on, people like Hell Pockets talk about SNK. You know, I had, you know, whatever you want to think about Mike Z. Obviously, this was before the whole thing that happened with with Lab Zero and Skullgirls and everything. But um, like Mike Z, he's, he's such an interesting fighting game mind. So just listening to him to talk about fighting games was uh, really cool for me just as a fan of fighting games. And then talking to other content creators like, you know, Coefficient and Stumblebee and their process and their viewpoint on things. So uh, what I would do is, you know, I would find people who I respect in the FGC, um, which recently that list has somewhat dwindled down. Of course. But the, yeah. people, <laughs> the, the, the people that I respect, I would look them up, right? If I didn't already know them, I would get to know their content first, right? I wouldn't invite them right away. Like I would get to know their content to see what, you know, what they're about or like if they're a commentator, like what's their style. I would do some research and then eventually I would reach out, see if they're interested. And if they were interested, the moment they said yes, that's when I would start constructing a somewhat of an outline of where I want to go with this podcast. I want to talk about current themes. I want to get to know background. I want to know a little bit more about the person, not the fighting game, you know, personality. So that's how I went through with that. And it was a cool experience for a little while. You know, it was, it was nice getting to know people from different regions. One of my favorite podcasts is uh, with two people who are, uh, they're really leading the scene over there in Luxembourg. And, and they're two, two twin brothers. And that was a really unique experience because FGC in Luxembourg is not FGC in, you know, the United States or Japan or any of these, these big regions that are fighting games are prominent. in. so that was really valuable information for me to understand both as a, a fighting game player and a content creator. So yeah, it was the Max Plus podcast. That was a cool experience and I'm glad I went through it. I had to, you know, transition away from that for reasons that had to do with it's very difficult, you know, to get guests on the show when they're non-committal. Yeah. And especially when you're planning the whole show around one specific person and then they pull the rug right under you at the last second. It's very difficult to do. And I just, if I was promising people a podcast every week with a guest, I had to make sure that they were, you know, on the same page as me. So when I had too many people say yes and then no, or just not respond or, you know, say yes initially, but then say, uh, Oh, sorry, man. And then I see them on another podcast, like, you know, roughly a oh, few hours later. That, that's not cool, man. Yeah. So at the end of the day, I was just like, you know what? This this is really not for me. And as much as I like getting to know more people, I'm not much of an interviewer myself. Like, it's not, I don't think that's where my podcasting hosting uh, specialty really lies. So 
That's why we transitioned over to uh, a different podcast, and it's called FGC Hollywood. Well, if I may say so, I thought that actually was the thing that made it different from the others, is that you were just a typical guy, you know, you may not have been, you may not have, you know, like in others' eyes, a big FGC figure, but you were just a casual guy, a fan who respected people in their craft, players in their craft, talking to players and people in the scene. Like that was, like it wasn't as artificial. It's not the whole like esports glamour, like you know, kind of story. Like that's that's what I think a lot of people saw in in what you made. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. Like I, that's kind of how I was hoping it would come off. Um, and I'm still hoping that the new podcast comes off like that too. It's just the people, I will say this, the people, there are a lot of people, I don't want to be like a, just saying those like, oh, you didn't come on a podcast, you're a terrible person. Like, that's not how it is. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of people who I invited on my podcast and they said no, but the reasons were absolutely acceptable. Like some people have social anxiety. They don't like talking to strangers, especially over, you know, an audience. That's, I mean, that's absolutely fine. Or, you know, some people just are too busy and they can't really accommodate because they have kids or they have other responsibilities. That's fine, too. Like, but it's the certain people. And this is where the kind of word, you know, Hollywood comes from is like there's certain people in the FGC. And I don't know where this came from, but it seems like, you know, people look at things at face value. Right. You look at Twitter followers. You look at YouTube sub count. You look at Instagram likes, all this stuff. The FGC has a tendency to really go just based on that stuff. And when I was starting to get Hollywooded, especially when people who like, I live in St. Louis, right? Like it's not, it's, it's one of the bigger cities in in the United States. And there is a lot of people in St. Louis who, I mean, used to live in St. Louis and are currently living in, you know, other places like California or whatever that I would invite because, you know, we somehow, someone had that St. Louis connection and all of a sudden I get Hollywooded even though we're from the same place. And that that's such a weird thing to me. Yeah. So and the and this is the biggest problem. Like I go to tournaments. I see these people. My biggest problem with some people in the FGC is that I see you at tournaments. You're not the same person that I spoke to on Twitter. Yes. And yeah. that's what I don't like. But I can guarantee you that if I you know, went to go see, you know, Hell Pockets, for example, at a tournament. I just wanted to go say hi. That dude is real. Like, he'll just be real the same way he was on the podcast with me. And I can, I really found, I, I thought it was such a valuable experience because I found who, who was genuine or not. Like, there, when I would invite people on the podcast who would decide to Hollywood me, a lot of times their first response would be like, how many people listen? Or where is it going to be? Like, those type of superficial answers. Yeah. And I, I remember when I asked, um, I remember, uh, yeah, Majin Obama, and this was like two years ago. I asked Obama, I was like, hey, do you want to come on the podcast and talk to me a little bit? He's like, yeah, man, I love talking shop. That was, the fir- that was his first response. He didn't, he didn't even look me up. He yeah. didn't care like who I was. Um, that's, those are the, the real people, yeah. and that's who I want to cater to. Like, I don't, I don't want all that fake shit. Like, I, I'm not into that. Like, I want the real people yeah. so well do you think that's yeah. somewhat tied into like the fgc player they want to have a certain image and portray themselves as something very established and something what of not a mystery but like as you said hollywood kind of having that star kind of glow about them you know like oh like is this podcast really going to do something for me and it's like 
that's yeah. not why I'm asking you, bro. That's not the agenda. <laughs> it's like, yeah. yeah. It it's it's weird. Like, I don't like I don't care. I don't know. Like, I just like fighting games, man. I, if you want, if you want to talk to me about fighting games, we both have time. I don't see why not. Like, that's how I think about it. So, yeah. Some people, some people think about it as like, what do I gain out of this? And then if they don't think they do, they'll be like, oh, sorry, man, uh, I got stuff. To do. Or they just ghost you. Yeah, I know. I, there's um, there's a few podcasts that I watch too. There's there's a few podcasts that I watch, and one person in particular, um, he says that whenever he asks a guest, he asks himself what can I do for them? And I thought that was such an open but humble way. Like, it's not about them boosting his profile. It's literally like, what can my episode do for you? You know, it can make you yeah. more relate. Yeah, I was like, that. You know, yeah, you're right. Fuck this whole, like, oh, do only 12 people listen? Oh, well, forget it then. Yeah, it's, it's, it's such a counterintuitive way of thinking about things because I... Yeah, I mean, for all you know, even if 12 people listens, what if the right person listens? The, like, yeah, I don't know. It's it's weird. And uh, but, you know, it's such a valuable experience. Like, I'm glad I went through that because had I not reached out to more people and gotten rejected sometimes and got kind of like, you know, weirdly treated, I wouldn't have really opened my eyes to what's happening in the FGC. And um, I'm glad for that because I I felt I gave a lot of people in the FGC a pass until I got a little closer to what's happening. And then I was just like, Oh, I can see now. It's, it's almost like, you know, when, when like a, a window is really foggy, you can't really see what's, what's outside until you get closer and you wipe that, you know, you wipe that fog away and they're like, Oh, it's clear. And now when it's, it's clear, it's a little clearer to me. And uh, yeah, I, I understand the full picture. <laughs> Who, um, who, just quickly, who made the McSplicer logo and the who, who did you make? Did you make the logo yourself, or did you like how? Yeah, how did that logo came to be? The whole mountain with the M. Oh, hello. Oh, did oh we lose I think we just had a slight desync. Oh, that's all right. I was just asking oh, you oh. who who made your infamous logo, the mountain with the M. Oh yeah, yeah. So that's actually uh, so. Um, my brother he designed the mountain, and then um, I wanted to do something different. So that mountain is actually Matterhorn, and it's be it's a play on because I play Lily. So that that's her launcher, like her biggest launcher. Oh my god, um, <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to do something with Matterhorn, and I didn't really know what to do. So I was just like, well, I guess I'll just put the M in the uh, in the middle. And I've, I've stuck with that for the longest time until recently I changed it. And now uh, it's actually a, a dual-sided axe, and there's the M in the middle, and that axe is actually called the Labrys. Jesus, man, that's deep. I like it. <laughs> Most people, it goes over a lot of people's head, and I kind of like that. Like, nobody knew what that mountain meant for the longest time until I explained it. Yeah. And I don't think people are really going to know what the axe means. But I just like it that way. <laughs> no, I like it, man. Thinking man. He's a thinking man. So, like, just briefly, like, near the end of the McSplicer podcast, with what you experienced, did you kind of review your work and think that the end picture would have been slightly different? Uh, I Yeah, I actually didn't make the final decision to end the podcast until maybe like a month ago 
I think. Jesus, that um, recent. Yeah, I I really thought long and hard about what do I want to do because I was going through a transition where I was moving from my old apartment into my uh, new place now. So I have a dedicated room where I can work in where you know I don't have like distractions like neighbors or you know whatever like noisy roommates. So I I was like, this is a new new page and a new start. And I was thinking, I was like, what do I want to do with this opportunity? And when I was thinking about the future for the podcast, I felt a little soured and I just wanted to turn over a new leaf. And that's when I was thinking to myself, maybe I should go away from the interview style podcast. Maybe not forever. You know, I would like to bring a series where I still reach out to people and, and talk to people. But I would like to still record the podcast, maybe in a different format. And that's how, when I was thinking about it, one of my favorite podcasts is ironically one that I don't even care much for what they talk about. I just like the personalities and the people, and I think it's informative. It's called Sacred Symbols, and it, they talk about PlayStation. And uh, it's a podcast who's, that's run by Colin Moriarty, who is actually one of my favorite writers. That's how I kind of got started. He, I used to read a lot of his work. And I kind of modeled my writing after him. So he used to be on a bunch of podcasts like Podcast Beyond and all these podcasts. And um, I just really enjoyed his work and I liked their structure. So I was thinking, I was like, maybe I could do something like that. But instead of talking about PlayStation, talk about fighting games, because that's the thing I know most. But I was, I didn't really wanted to do it alone. So I was thinking about co-hosts and one of the, you know, co-host that made the most sense was uh, my friend Pringle the One, who he's, you know, he's a real genuine guy when it comes to fighting games. He knows a lot about Skullgirls, and he also has his past with Smash Brothers, something that I don't. And I think we both can bring two different things to the table. And one thing that I think is a little different for us, especially in the world of podcasting and the FGC, is that if you see a lot of podcasts, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I just want it to be different. If you see a lot of podcasts in this landscape, a lot of it is stream archives. It's just audio stream archives, right? And um, as much as I like chat interaction and, and when you have, you know, like notifications and stuff like that, I think there's a time and place for that. And when I personally, when I listen to a podcast, I like it to have a little more structure and be more of a conversation about a topic versus exterior factors if yeah. that makes sense yeah that does so yeah that's the direction that i want to go with this new podcast is i just want it to have structure have a little more of a professional format and do it a little differently like i don't know if we'll be the most popular or whatever but like that's not the goal i just yeah. want to be different and i want to be real and i think we can succeed doing that yeah no and 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 all the more power to you for it man and it's easier when you've got a second host, you know, you've got that kind of synergy. It's a lot more easy to, well, you know, there's another layer of understanding, but then also complexity. With two people, it, mm -hmm. there's, it, there's, there's going to be something that happens. Um, and you've yeah. taken inspiration, you know, like you look at like Excellent Adventures, Mike Ross and Gutex, like that's a classic one. And I know you've kind of, you've kind of admired those guys. I mean, we all have. I mean, I don't play Street Fighter, but I mean, that was a good series, man. That was good shit. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I so I, I yeah. I recently wrote about that, and um, writing that piece actually made me both happy and sad at the same time. 
because I, I sort of knew what I was going to say, but then when I was really writing that piece and going through it, when I got to the end, I was like, man, that kind of sucks that the journey ended the way it did because it it's unfortunate. But um, it's like that old saying goes, you know, don't be uh, sad that it's over. Just be happy that it happened. And yeah, that was uh, those two really had a, a giant impact on me. I don't. Yeah. Like you said, I don't even play Street Fighter. I don't. You know, I, I could care less. But those two, the way they made content and made content matter in the FGC with, you know, they, they were one of the first to do real live production when it comes to focus on commentary and games. And they really they really pushed the envelope on, on a lot of things. So you got to give those guys credit as just pioneers, especially in the content creation space. And I, I don't think I would be here if it wasn't for those two. And I never spoken a word to them in my life, but they definitely had a big impact. Mm -hmm on uh, content creation and kind of looking into it now i kind of see that this the the somewhat symmetry between you know what happened with mike ross and kind of capcom not giving a shit like not really giving him his paid credit um and then you you know with the certain people you were getting the hollywood people from uh you know your guests and stuff like i guess knowing what you went through you can kind of look at mike ross and think jesus you know like he kind of had that level of low appreciation as well yeah, or, and or, I, or people, I'll be honest. Or, or like Capcom putting him in that box, like, no, we just want you to only be this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not even Capcom, but like the crazy. I really resonate with Mike Ross even before the whole thing. Like, I always liked Mike. He was just a, just the people's champ, right? Like, he was he was the guy. Even when he was playing the cocky guy or whatever, like you knew he was just a good dude. Yeah. And he was and he was just real. Uh, well, something that really hit home for me, and I think it was. 2017 or maybe like somewhere around that line or somewhere around that time frame is he said that in like 2016 or something like that he had 6,000 birthday or happy birthdays notifications on Facebook and then after he left Capcom Pro Talk he left Excellent Adventures he kind of took a step back he had four which is astonishing because he was in that circle man like he was in you know southern california and he really knew a lot of people and it really showed him the the true value of people is like they keep contact with you because you have contact with other people they want to be established with instead of just wishing you well and i think that was a big wake-up call for him but obviously he had that effect you know just multiplied a hundred times what I had. Like that guy was around everybody and he was everywhere. He was one of the most po popular fighting game figures, at least at that time Yeah, that we've ever had. And to see it all come down and just the realization that like these people aren't who they say they are. Uh, it sucked for him, but it also like for the people that really liked Mike, uh, like myself and others, it sucked to see him go through that because we know that he doesn't deserve that. Cause he honestly, like you could tell he was one of the real ones and he, he used to keep it real all the time unless he was like under NDA or whatever. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was just a bummer to see that, but you know, he was starting to make appearances here and there a little bit, uh, but obviously he <laughs> things happen. So. Yeah. God, it was so <laughs> funny when he like popped up, I forgot what Eva it was, but he was playing some anime game and he had like a full beard and an afro and, and and i don't think it 
at the beginning, the commentators didn't notice, but you could just see in the chat, like, oh my God, Mike Ross, Mike Ross, is that Mike Ross? Oh shit, it's Mike Ross. <laughs> like, yeah, he entered, uh, he entered Guilty Gear Rev 2 under the alias Waxel, and he played uh, Axel <laughs> on stream. And uh, yeah, he just, and, but he was in and out too. Like he didn't try to make a big deal out of oh, it. Oh yeah, he didn't even he look, went, he just looked so stone-faced, man. Yeah. But even after the match, like he couldn't get off the stage fast enough because he knew that it would create the reaction. He didn't. I don't think he really wanted to probably play on stream. But you know, I don't know how many you know tournaments, especially on this side of the, uh, um, especially in the United States, right? Like if if you're more known and you make it to a certain level, producers would be like you, you on stream, right? If you have like a known name, they would like putting those guys on stream. So when they, know, I'm sure when they noticed that it was Mike Ross, they'd be like, hey put this match on stream. So, you know, it, it kind of works out that way, but yeah, he's shout outs to Mike Ross. He's a real one. Yeah, man, the OG. So with you and Pringle, the one, what would be the ultimate goal for FGC Hollywood? I would, I just want to cater to both people that are new coming into the FGC. Cause I think we're going to see a lot of it, man. I think if, when you're looking at this landscape, Within the next two to three years, and if rollback becomes more of a thing, it's going to open a lot of avenues for new people to try out games because there's right now there's a bit of an argument of like rollback versus crossplay, right? Like everybody wants to play with their friends on PS4 if they're on Xbox, but what's the point of playing with somebody on a different platform if the connection is bad? That's why I think we really have to focus on rollback netcode. So the so we can play, and it's fun, but you know, and then we'll move over to crossplay. So as far as this podcast, I want to cater to people who are both starting to get their you know dip their toes in the FGC, but I don't want to alienate the people who have been here for the longest, right? Like I still want to talk about things that are a little more niche in this community, right? Like. Somebody who maybe he just started, he wouldn't really understand what we're talking about. Because we still use terminology that is very deliberately, you know, only focused on fighting games, right? Like, when we say things like rollback, or we say things like plus on block, if you just got here, you don't know what that means. But hopefully, you get to stick around. And also, I, I open up my show to anybody on a bunch of platforms to ask questions. And then at the end of the show, we just answer them. So... That's, I think that would be a good conduit for you to learn more because I don't pretend to know everything about fighting games, far from it. But I think myself and Pringle, we have enough knowledge to be able to help a lot of people and then just make it entertaining, man. Like, I just, I, I just want people to use us to pass the time if they're doing what I did when I was 19, you know, just driving a forklift and just bored, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's kind of what I want. Was it planned in a way? Because he was not shy from being, you know, he was shy off from episode 100. So subconsciously, had you decided like, oh, like maybe I might call on him for a favor being a podcast co-host? Yeah. So um, I initially, so actually, that's a funny story. Uh, on episode 97 of the Max Spicer podcast, Pringle wasn't the original guest. It was actually somebody else. But then, of course, you know, things happen and it didn't work out. Pringle subbed, you know, he, he was subbed in. I was just like, hey, at last minute, this guy canceled on me. I don't know where he's at. 
can you help me out here? And he's like, yeah, man, for sure. And then that was, you know, a really enjoyable podcast to do because he really, you know, helped me out. I didn't want to record that podcast alone because it was actually right when the whole Bunny and Mike Z thing happened. And I was just like, I don't want to talk about this alone. I kind of want to talk to somebody who, especially Pringle, you know, he's all about Skullgirls. So that really helped me out. And I think that planted the seed a little bit. I don't think at that point in time, I really knew that I was going to move on from TMP and go to FGC Hollywood. But I think I knew I wanted Pringle back on. I just didn't know in what capacity. And then when I made the transition, I had a little bit of thinking. I was like, I was thinking maybe of like a couple guys that would make good co-hosts if they were willing to do it. But ultimately, you know, I, I landed on Pringle because I thought he would be um, very, he could, he could really even teach me things that I don't know. And I experienced it on the first podcast we did because his viewpoint on things almost widens the way I look about things. He, he has a really cool perspective on things. And uh, yeah, I think I definitely made the right choice with that co-host. Yeah, I think you did, man. Um, and I look forward to the future episodes. And if you ever do get back to um, interviewing players or just guests in general, you know, that'd be great. Um, but yeah, 2020, a real fucked up year. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah just, just for you personally, I, you don't need to comment on anything specific, but just... It's going to sound really hypocritical, but what were some of the good things that came out of 2020, if you could find anything to comment on? Uh, the truth, right? The, the truth came out. Like, I'll say this even on record, and I think it also applies to me. A lot of us in the FGC, when we're not talking about fighting games, we shouldn't talk at all. Like, it's just, it's just how it is. Uh, I don't think we're we're very interesting or we're I don't want to say educated enough, but it's tough for us to sometimes articulate thoughts that aren't about rollback netcode and plus frames. Like it's just we're not suited for that. And I'll I'll put myself on blast too. Like I mean I said dumb shit in the past where you know, but I mean, you can check the tapes. It's all there. You know, I, th those pod early podcast episodes, I had no idea what I was talking about. But that was at a point in time where I didn't know what lane I fit in. And 2020, I think with not being able to travel, that's one, and having to find an identity outside of being a pro player or a professional commentator or a tournament organizer, a lot of people try to find uh, a different outlet to put their you know quote-unquote creative talents into. And we found out that a lot of people in the FGC aren't uh, really good at anything else except for what they're doing. And I think social media has played a big role in that in exposing a lot of, you know, people who are, uh, I don't know. I, I just think that there's certain commentators out there, certain players out there that, you know, when they're not spending their time doing what they're good at, they come out on social media and they, uh, they just rub people the wrong way. And I, I don't like that. And, but I'm glad that we have seen it, right? Like, I'm glad that we now kind of know who's who. And we've also, you know, learned a really good lesson about, you know, with the, everything that's happened, especially, I mean, the Lab Zero thing is so big, right? Like, yeah. we, we've really learned a lot about how we react. Like, I don't, I don't know the truth in that situation. For all you know, I think Mike Z 
could be guilty or he could be innocent or maybe he could be somewhere in the middle, right? Some parts are true, some parts are, are not. The reaction that we've seen in the FGC, that's the part that I don't like. Everybody's so fast to crucify each other. Like, aren't we just people? Like, that's the part that I don't understand. Like, I, I think everybody should just be cool for a second before you explode on Twitter and just being like, you know, man, that's the worst because, man, I think Mike Z could probably handle it a little better. But for some poor soul out there, I see people, you know, somewhat Hollywood in this FGC, and they'll gang up, gang up on, let's say, like a Twitter egg on, on Twitter, just asking like a question because they don't know. And then they subtweet that or that like quote tweet it and blast that people, that guy. And it's, uh, that could be like traumatizing to somebody, man. Like, cause it's like, I mean, nobody likes to be hated on publicly like that and just shamed. And I've been seeing that and, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's, I, what happened to just being people first and just respecting people first and then everything else later, you know, let due process work itself out. I, that's the part that I think 2020 really showed me personally. I don't know about everybody, but it showed me that the, there are certain people out there that really understand the order of things and there are certain people that react first and then act later. That's actually, that's the part. That's, that's, that's a beautiful, yeah, yeah Ben, I know. Um, do you, <laughs> yeah. Do you think, like with the scene um i mean there's been a lot that's happened this year um could it be that a year of no offlines us being kind of quiet with all the shit surfacing kind of the best thing right now because it's that moment of cleansing you know and like you said you know finding out people aren't who they say they are or they're not who they're you know putting themselves out yeah i think I think there's a, a few things that we need to do. I think we need unified rules and regulations. That's one, like uh, for venues and tournaments. And uh, we need all these big tournaments. We need like Evo and, you know, CEO and DreamHack and all these big global tournaments. Bam, right? Like we need all of them to have unified rules and regulations. So like when we go to a tournament, we're not confused about how we should act or condone ourselves. And I think we have to make those rules known by any means necessary. That's one thing that I think 2020 can help these TOs do because they're not busy, you know, trying to organize a tournament. They can maybe get together through Zoom or Skype or whatever and be like, hey, can we write something down and implement them? That, I think that would be really beneficial. I would like to see... I'm not sure how to implement it. I'm not a tournament organizer, but I would like to see a little more vetting of, yeah. you know, people that, you know, are, whether they are participating in online tournaments, commentating or whatever, or offline tournaments. I would like to see that. But also, the problem with the FGC is that we're not, we kind of also have to self-regulate and we have to keep each other honest with how we do things. And I, we don't, I don't know. We don't see that a lot. Yeah. I hope that that's to change, but we're going to go through another wave like this and it's, we're going to see it because once, you know, project L comes out, who knows when that comes out? I believe the influx of people that we're going to see is going to be more dramatic than we've seen with Dragon Ball. It's going to be longer lasting because those people already play a long-lasting game. 
we're going to see another wave that's going to kind of shake the FGC when Project Val comes out, both for good and for not so good. Yeah. I think we're going to see a lot of really cool, innovative stuff that comes from that game, especially with regards to how we play it, be it crossplay or netcode or whatever other ideas that we see it. But we're also going to see changes in esports, that's for sure. And we're going to see changes in how we run both uh, public and invite only tournaments. Mm. So there's, we have so much to learn. And I think this year, especially, if we can focus on some of the, the bigger issues, it might not get them done in 2020, but if we can get them, you know, if we, if we can kind of get the ball rolling on it for 2021, it would be so great. Yeah, man. Well, you mentioned it before, you know, will developers actually give us like the good stuff, what we really need? Roll back net code, roll back net code, roll back net yeah. code. It's just like, yeah. I, I mean, right now, uh, like at this point, I think a lot of people, considering we've had to deal with this COVID situation as well, playing online tournaments online is a fucking nightmare. Like, terrible. Yeah. How would you plead your case to developers to actually start? enforcing this idea of yes rollback netcode it's it should be a necessity now i don't I, yeah that's the problem i don't think we have to plead to developers they're a lost cause by now like we've already let them know like listen a lot of those developers have people on the marketing side or on the social media side they see our tweets they see how we react to you know trailers on youtube they see exactly how we feel about this stuff yeah. the problem is is Let's say, I'll, like a perfect example is when, uh, I think, yeah, Undernight and Birth, it transitioned from Eunice to Uniclair, right? And I was like, man, I really like the game and I really enjoyed it, but I don't think I can support buying the game again because at that point in time, they didn't announce it for a PC, which is where I love playing my fighting games. But I really love Undernight and Birth. So I was just like, do I play it on PS4 and just break down? Players have to make a big decision. If you don't want to play where, you know, you're most comfortable at or where, you know, you kind of have to put your money where your mouth is. If you're willing to play your favorite game, even though it has delay, that's on you. Because why would the developers be incentivized to change anything if you're still giving them your money? That's the thing. It's like, so when Undernight and Birth... Uh, Claire came out. I was like, I'm I'm just gonna play uh, an older version until it comes out to PC, and then if it comes to PC, I'll get it then. And lo and behold, had I not waited, I would have had to spend my money twice: one month before Undernight and Birth came out to PC, and then I would have bought it both on PS4 the month before, and then a month after when it came out on PC. So I'm glad I waited. Now rollback's a little different. You're gonna have to wait a lot more than what I did for Undernight and Birth. You're gonna have to wait probably a year maybe two it's going to be a long haul but if enough people make a stand right like man i really love dragon ball but i can't play it anymore it's just too horrible i can't do it i guess i gotta play you know a game that i don't really want to play but it has actual good netcode i'm gonna go play Skullgirls. i'm gonna go play mvci it's roughly you know same mechanics type game but at least it's playable. It doesn't have the characters that I want to play in it. It doesn't really have the property that I, you know, I enjoy. But I have to make that sacrifice. People are going to have to do that, especially here in the West, because if you go to, you know, Southeast Asia, 
their online connectivity is much better. Japan, South Korea, like they can deal with delay because they don't have the infrastructure that, you know, you know, the people that are playing across oceans do. It's, 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 it's tough. So you have to make, as a player, the sacrifice to not buy the delay games in order to further push the rollback movement. That's the only way you can make it happen. Developers aren't going to change if you don't force them to. Because if they don't know that you don't like the game, if they're still getting your money, I mean, that's not the message that they're getting. They're like, oh, I guess they were fine. Because obviously they still spent the money. That's, that's never going to make a true impact. If you really want rollback netcode, for example, if you want it in Tekken, you got to stop playing Tekken, man. You got to go play something else that, you know, you support because they do rollback or they do good rollback. So I'm currently at a position like my two favorite games at this point in time are Tekken 7 and Undernight and Birth. And I don't play either of them. I find myself playing Dems Fighting Herds because it's the only game that I can play comfortably, even though it's not my number one choice. Yeah. It's, it's the... I guess the choice that will push for change right now, but I can't be the only one that does it. You know, he can't be the only one that does it It has to be a community effort. So until that happens, if it happens, I don't think we're going to see a change with, especially a lot of these uh, Japanese developed games, because I don't know why, but Japanese developers are seem to be very old school in their approach and they're not really embracing change. Yeah. American developers have actually done a very good job of implementing rollback, especially now that GGPO is open license under, or I guess it's open source under MIT license. Yeah. And you see all these games using GGPO, which is the best infrastructure out there for rollback. But then even when you can finally push for rollback with Japanese developed games, they refuse to go GGPO. And they're like, well, we're just going to make our self-propriety rollback because we want to know how it works. And we want to do it this way instead of just using what works, but also asking for help from somebody like Tony Cannon or somebody who really understands rollback netcode, the guy's a killer instinct, code mystics at SMK. I don't know. It's, it's going to be a long, hard fought battle. I don't know when we're going to make that streamline across the whole FGC, but I hope it comes sooner than later. Yeah, I've had a friend tell me that that rollback netcode is they can implement it, but it's that you know the Japanese developers definitely like it's 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 cha- it's kind of getting them to to change their ways and stuff. Like, do you really think a sacrifice from the players would have that kind of impact? I think if let's say for example, here's here's a big uh, part that I I believe was. Crucial for, I mean, the the initial reaction that when you saw uh, Guilty Gear, the you know the only part that Guilty Gear players were talking about was like, man, I hope this has rollback because Rev Two sucks. I can't, I love Rev Two, but I can't play it online. It's terrible. And I don't think if there was such a push on that on social media and just you know word to mouth, I don't think Guilty Gear would have got delayed as much as it did because they wouldn't have had an implement rollback. So yeah, I think players have way more power than they give themselves credit. It's just about making a stand. And if we make a stand as a unified, almost like coalition, uh, it'll come sooner than you can imagine. Because the worst part for a developer is when you don't buy their game. 
because when you don't buy their game, they have to figure out why, and then they have to fix that part in order for you to give them money so they can sell more copies of the game. If we make it clear to them, I didn't buy your game because your online infrastructure does not allow me to play online against who I want to play online with, then they'll be like, I guess I have to change the infrastructure. So right now I have delay. Let me look at rollback. And then if they implement it right, hopefully the people that are satisfied with it put their money where their mouth is and then buy the game. That's how I think it should work. Okay. Sweet. Well, I think we're getting near the end, man, but I've got some final round questions for you if you're sure. ready for them, yeah? Okay. Mm -hmm. So first one, name a surprising moment while hosting the McSplicer podcast. Oh, wow. That's a good one. Surprising moment. Hmm. I would say maybe uh, maybe when I had Mike Z on, I didn't realize how much I would be just listening to him talk about fighting games versus just conducting a regular interview. I thought that was cool where I didn't really have to say much. Like I could just say, you know, just give him kind of like a, a little bit of the end of the rope and then he would just take it. And I thought that was, uh, that was cool because he, he was just talking from a, like a, a development side of things. And that was uh, really educational for me. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed that podcast simply because I didn't have to run it as a regular interview. I just could listen as a fan. Oh, cool, man. All right. Mm -hmm. What's your perfect five course meal? Wow. Uh, yeah. Coming at you with the big stuff, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was, a, that was a good mix up. A five course meal. I don't know. There's a lot of good. I'm a big steak guy, so I would say a good steak dinner. That would be. That would, that would be my, my one. All right, steak. Any any sides? Any sides with it? Just to make it five courses. Yeah, I would, yeah. I would probably go with like you know like mashed potatoes and like green beans and stuff like that uh, to put it all together. Yeah, all right. Oh, good. All right. For fighting games, which element should take priority when in development? Improving netcode or preventing hacks? I think hacks you can eventually patch out. Netcode, yeah, it takes takes a while to implement. It's more expensive and it takes time to understand. So yeah, I would say make sure the game runs online first and then figure out the problems that people are abusing later. Nice. Name an underhyped MMA fighter. Oh, wow. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. There's uh, one in the 170-pound division right now. Uh, his name is uh, Leon Edwards for the UFC. But who's even more under hype? And he's actually one of the best fighters in the world, and nobody talks about him. He's also in the 170-pound division. His name is Douglas Lima. He's actually Bellator's welterweight champion. And they make these uh, ranks of like all, you know, there's so many promotions, MMA promotions out there. And when everybody says top 10, everybody thinks UFC because they monopolize the talent. But Douglas Lima arguably could be the best 170 pound fighter on the planet right now, but nobody knows his name. Oh, okay. Um, who is the most infamous clown in the FGC? Oh man, 
clown as in like a trolley clown or like a, uh, just a funny guy? Yeah. Uh, take it take it how you want. Um okay, I'll say like a like a just a funny guy. Actually both of these guys come from the FGC. So just as a funny guy, I think uh probably Chris Hugh. I don't know how how often he uh he commentates NLBC now, but he's just he's just really, really funny. Uh more like trolley funny. And he had such a good dynamic with Aquasilk back in the day. And uh yeah, those two. Those two guys were just both trolley funny and just regular funny. <laughs> and, um, but uh, Lee Chung is also really, really just a funny commentator, funny guy. Um, yeah, there's a lot, a lot of good ones. A lot of, a lot of those East Coast guys have a really good sense of humor. <laughs> Sweet. Uh, Marvel or DC? Uh, I'm actually not a huge fan of either, but I would say. Oh, how come? I I don't know. I just didn't gr really grow up with them. I I didn't really read the comics or watch the movies. Um, but I'll probably go with Marvel because I did like the uh, the animated the Spider-Man animated series, like in the early ninety or uh, like late nineties and early two thousands. Oh yeah, nah, that's good. Hmm. If there was a novel being made on FGC history, whose face should headline the chapter? The Online Warriors. Wow, that's a really good question. The online warriors. Uh, I would say you could. Okay, so obviously I'm biased here because I oh, I only know a lot of the uh, U.S. people, but I think I have a few examples. If that's cheating, no, that's all right. Um, I I would say from the U.K. is I'm still the daddy. Like he's <laughs> you know he's, he's known for his he online. He is a crack up man. <laughs> yeah um yeah i think it would be a good one from like the uk uh here in the u.s as far as like really successful online players you know people don't really think of knuckle do as one but knuckle do got his start online and then obviously he started going to majors but he he was really really good online punk is also a really good online player that transitioned over and you know obviously one of the more infamous ones who's uh he, he's People don't really talk about him today anymore, but he was known for being just kind of an online guy. His name was Wolf Crone. He played uh, Street oh, Fighter yeah. 4. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he had that infamous moment with uh, Ricky Ortiz back in the day about uh, he thought he was going to win and then he didn't. So it's a good clip. <laughs> People can find it. No, man. Those are some good choices. What's your biggest guilty pleasure? Uh, fighting game related or non fighting game related? Any, anything you want. Guilty pleasure. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I like sweets, so maybe like, yeah, maybe like eating ice cream when I know I shouldn't. <laughs> Something like that. Any particular flavor? Uh, I'm a, I'm just kind of like a boring guy, so I like like cookies and cream. Usually my go-to. That's all right. That's a good choice. It's good yeah. flavor. What would be your dream team up for content collab? Ooh, wow, I didn't really think about that. I uh, I would say like Corey Gaming, but I just think that guy is way smarter than me. <laughs> so I, I don't want to like 
I don't want to like drag anybody down. I would like to like uh, get uh, somebody who's like on my same level. Level like I don't want to have somebody who like I'm a little ahead of or somebody who's like ahead of me. So I don't really know who that person. Is. The problem with me is that um, I'm really competitive, and I don't watch other people's content in the FGC. I know it's a terrible thing to say, but like unless I'm really specifically trying to learn something, I try not to watch other content creators because. Uh, I I don't want my I don't want my view clouded by anybody else even if it's subconscious. So I try not to watch anybody cuz I want to have I want to form my own opinion and uh, it's kind of a backwards way of looking at it. So I I don't really watch anybody in the FGC unless I'm like researching them specifically. So I don't I don't know, but there's a lot of really good ones out there. There's a lot of people doing quality work in the FGC. Now, some that I'm sure I haven't even found yet. Um but yeah, maybe one of these days we can do something if I uh, if I get to a certain level and then um, I either re you know meet them or uh, we both get there at the same time. Mm. Well, I'll put I'll put this to you. What's your dream team up for a content collab? Like other people, like you'd want to see person A with person B. Hmm. Trying to think. I would say maybe I mean I would I would love to see Corey Gaming do like an introspective interview with Mike Ross. I think that would that would be awesome. Like I think he could get a side of him that uh we haven't seen in a long time. I like that. And, and finally, who is your waifu, McSplicer? Oh. <laughs> You know, I got asked this question just the other day, and I realized about myself that I I don't have a lot of waifu choices. It's uh, it's weird. I just I don't. Um, I don't have them ranked or anything, but I really like uh, King and Vice from KOF. I think they're really cool. Two cool waifus. Their characters are just very strong women. I like strong women in fighting games. They're just badass. So I like. Um, I would probably put Vice number one. She's just she's just a really interesting character to me. I just like. I think she's awesome, and but there's also there's a lot of other good choice. I love I love Eno from Guilty Gear. Um, I played Lily and Tekken all my life, but that's more because I just really like her fighting style. And I mean, she's a little smug, which I like that. That's cool. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, I I don't particularly have too many waifus. Uh, obviously, I played Labyrinth and Persona Four Arena, but that's also she's like she kind of has a chip on her shoulder, and I, I don't know. Yeah, I just like the. To... <laughs> Yeah, I like the more edgy women as far as personality in fighting games because they're just kind of, they're not your typical, you know, girly girl. They're very, they got an intensity about them, and I like that. Yeah. So we're we thinking Vice? We're still sticking with Vice? Yeah, I would say Vice because she's, uh, she's very unpredictable. So I don't know. Uh, who knows what Vice is thinking? Mm. But I like that. <laughs> Mick Splicer, thank you so much for coming on, man. It's been an absolute pleasure. Do you, oh, absolutely, man. I appreciate you coming on. No, it's my pleasure, really. Do you have any last words or shout-outs? Uh, anybody that's stuck around enough to listen to me about fighting games, yeah. <laughs> you know, I appreciate anybody who uh, just likes fighting games. That's kind of like the whole thing here, right? Like, we just talk and shop. That's the best part. Sweet, man. Well, thank you again, man. And, uh, yeah, we'll catch you around. Yeah, for sure. Thanks.